This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to the debut episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, where we talk everything AEW and its surrounding universe. I am your co-host, Tyler Fornis, and with me is Fred Moreland, the creator of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi, an article series he's been doing for Voices of Wrestling for some time. Fred, it is good to finally be sitting down with you and talking this wonderfully chaotic company. It's the Tyler and the Fred. I love it. I absolutely love it. How are you doing, man? I, I'm oh. glad that this is a very, uh, it's all friends wrestling. Nothing bad ever happens here. And we're all just really chill and get along very well. And there's no backstage drama whatsoever. And then it all comes in when you add a 43-year-old curmudgeon to your company. We're going to talk about that today. Fred, I'm having a good day. I've got the puppy in the other room crate training right now. And I'm hoping that he ends up being okay, but you never know with puppies. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, Tyler, for the past couple of weeks, I've been watching the show called Steven Universe, which is a cartoon. I'm a, I'm an adult man. Um, and it's basically about this kid who uh, more or less solves all of his problems by like eventually getting people to be like, oh, I should be nice and not a crazy person. And uh, it does this for like five seasons until there's finally an episode where it lampshades that by having uh like the the bad guys of the episode just being like no i still hate you go away uh i just bring that up for no particular reason whatsoever um anyways what's going on <laughs> it's, it sounds like you just described dragon gate which is kind of ties into what aew is because no matter what if you hate somebody you still hate them years down the line and that is one of the nice things about it everything feels cohesive and it got really interesting after the All Out Presser, which is going to be the antithesis of the dynamite that we're going to be talking about today because CM Punk went absolutely scorched earth. Now, this has obviously been talked about to death, Fred, but uh, what are your overarching thoughts on CM Punk just deciding to go into business for himself and bury pretty much the entire company? I don't think we need to really recap what happened because if you're listening to this show and you don't know what happened, I'm I'm sorry. This is you need to stop and just like I don't know, do something else, man. Because I don't know why you clicked on this. Um, yeah, the, the entire situation is just so so stupid. Um, it is just the dumbest thing to happen in wrestling in a while. And that's in a year where like Kota Ibushi basically tried to set new Japan on fire. Similarly by in a, in a culture where you cannot be affiliated publicly with the mafia or the Yakuza uh, to the point that they have their own, like, I forget what the phrase was now, but whatever that like euphemism for Yakuza affiliated and was just like, Oh yeah, uh, new Japan, Yakuza affiliated. What up? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> and yeah, then, and all the all the WWE drama with Vince McMahon, um, you know, various 
let, let's put the let's say miscues and uh the walkouts and everything else there and i i just it's very funny to see people like this is the worst thing to happen all year cm punk i'm like it's the most public thing you can say that let's just say wrestling is back baby and this is exactly what's been going on for decades and because of the post-show uh, pressers that Tony Khan likes to do after these big events, we saw it come to the forefront. Otherwise, it might have gotten buried in the dirt sheets and it would have just been all rumor and happenstance. But CM Punk did it on his own. And that leads into the intro for this show, Fred, because Tony Khan vacated both CM Punk's AEW World Heavyweight Championship and the Elite's Trios Championships after they were suspended, along with Pat Buck, Christopher Daniels, Michael Nakazawa and Brandon Cutler. Um, the reason why that they were all suspended is there's a pending investigation. And it seems like instead of doing interim, the part of the punishment is being stripped of those titles. Yeah. Um, and a steal. Don't forget. Um, weep it by the uh, allegedly. Um, yeah. So it's very interesting. I mean, once you hear about the triceps injury, I think it's the triceps as punk had, uh, it's not a surprise that's vacated. It would have been vacated. Otherwise, I was a little surprised that the uh, trios belts were vacated so quickly. I think that was just, uh, frankly, to do something to, uh, I think, establishing new champions for that was part of the the table wipe that uh, that Tony Khan did with the last Dynamite, where he was just like, "Yes, I know that for three days, all you people have been able to talk about was the back, you know the drama we had, uh, but also we're a really good wrestling company, and you need to remember that. And here's really good wrestling. Enjoy." See, I'm going to give a little bit of pushback there, Fred, because I think the fact that the elite were also stripped um, is just sending a signal like, hey, you're suspended. I'm going to set the precedent that if you are suspended, then you're, you are vacating your title. And even though let's go with the hypothesis here, the hypothetical that the elite are innocent in all this, and they went as good standing citizens and they got attacked by Punk and Steel. They're suspended pending investigation, so they're just completely void of their titles whether that's fair or not is up for another discussion but i think it's just a setting an equal precedent moving forward that tony khan's not going to put up with this shit yeah i think uh tony khan has had enough basically i think he uh uh was very happy to ride the oh you two don't like each other in public well i'll make a match off that and make money off it and then it kind of hit like oh i i can't i can't make money off this this is too much so i I do think Tony Khan's going to figure out a way to make money off of this because there is way too much money to potentially make off of this. And let's be honest, everybody in the wrestling business is an absolute carny and they want to make the most money. That's what everybody's there for. Some people, they talk about the art of wrestling. There's going to be some truth to that. But if they're not getting paid a lot of money and somebody else is going to pay them more money, more often than not, they're going to go follow the money, which they absolutely should. There's a limited shelf life for an athlete in any sport to make as much money as they can. And you should go do that a hundred percent. But it's, I'm very intrigued to see how this continues to develop because we've heard multiple things, Fred, multiple sources have said both punk and steel would be um, no longer with the company by dynamite. And we haven't heard anything since um, we do know that the Jaguars chief legal officer, um, mega Parquet, I think I butchered that name, but she's also, AEW's legal officer then handles all all of their legal stuff and the fact that she was 
apparently there and witnessed the whole thing makes things muddied up. We've heard that there are potential lawsuits to factor in here, which could be a big deal when you're talking about it on TV, which I believe is why uh, Tony Khan did not mention the elite's name or CM Punk's name throughout the entirety of Dynamite. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty obvious as to why the, no one was mentioned my name. Uh, as for the lawsuit, you know, uh, like it or not, the American legal system is very much based around uh, which side has the most money, having a pretty big advantage. And while CM Punk and the elite, uh, and etc., may have made, you know, good money in their careers, uh, no one's touching Tony Khan and the Khan bankroll. So, you know, I... It, I'm not too concerned as far as like a lawsuit playing a role in the suspect, you know, or the uh, general situation. I mean, if punk sues the young bucks directly or whatever, you know, fine. It's uh, he would likely include a W in that if it went completely, you know, full uh, uh, disaster, you know, worst case scenario. But, you know, if he were to do that, the fact is that punk is, you know, likely a millionaire and Tony Khan and his family, you know, are billionaires. And that's a pretty big difference. So. Oh, it absolutely is a big difference, but it's also hard to turn down. Even if you're a millionaire, like we presume CM Punk still is the rumored $5 million contract that he has. Let's say it's for three more years. That's $15 million. That's a lot of money. And after taxes, that's 10 million bucks. So you're talking about leaving that money on the table just to go scorched earth. It feels like there's some more to this, and we're going to find out a lot more about it moving forward, especially when we hear about the futures of these four main uh, individuals, especially considering Vince McMahon is no longer in power for the Fed, WWE, and Triple H has a lot of wrestlers speaking very highly of him. He does. Uh, but one issue with that is, uh, at least from my memory, from when Punk did the now infamous podcast on Cole Cabana's Art of Wrestling, that I think he had more issues with uh, Paul Levesque than he does with Vince McMahon. And uh, I don't think that particularly pretends to Punk going back to WWE. Now, I also think that Triple H would be willing to make money because he would like to help establish, you know, his position as the head of creative and everything there. And also being able to, you know, there, there's a real value over there seen in picking up uh, top AEW stars. And right now it doesn't get any bigger than CM Punk. So I think that, it's, I would be surprised if Punk's outright fired. I think you may see him like, you know, frozen for a while and then eventually a buyout is negotiated or something of the sort. But I just don't see that like in three weeks we're going to outright see CM Punk dumped in the ocean and uh, Tony Khan just wipe his hands and be like, well, we're done with that. No, I 100% agree. I don't think it's going to be a situation where you have uh, Punk all of a sudden, hey, he's going to go to the Fed. Um, something that we'll talk about here, we'll just kind of bring it up right now because it kind of pertains to the situation as far as being released and then going to another company. Malachi Black was granted a conditional release, and that condition is likely going to hold him out of going to WWE for a significant period of time. The traditional release for WWE is giving them 90 days, lets them essentially cool off, and then when they go to another promotion, they're not as hot as they were when they left. So you got to think if CM Punk is outright released or fired, there are heavy conditions, likely with a long period of time. And we have to remember the cons 
are worth eight billion dollars and Vince McMahon is worth two. Yeah. That is a lot of money. It's not like you having four hundred dollars going to the county fair and I only have a hundred bucks. It we're talking eons of and like buku bucks here. So they can afford to give Punk five million dollars to sit at home, keep his mouth shut, and he just gets to cash those checks, and then you don't have to worry about him going to the Fed. So the real interesting part about the Paul Levesque angle is Adam Cole loves him and the elite are friends with Adam Cole. That is an element of this conversation that is the most intriguing because while punk likely won't go back unless there's a lot of money involved, the elite could feel obligated to do that because they have a close personal friend who has a great relationship with him. Oh, uh, they could. And, you know, there was the weird story that came out this past week that they were putting out feelers previously to go to WWE. Uh, it, uh, I guess that it was associated with Dave Meltzer, and Meltzer outright said that he never reported that on his most recent episode of the Observer Radio Show. Um, I, you know, I would be shocked if they did not at least, you know, drop a little line and be like, hey, you guys open a business, you know, because they have, I mean, they have like a year and change left on their contracts, is my understanding. Uh, they'd be foolish to not maximize their leverage, you know, even if they want to stay at AEW, being able to get like a feel for their market value and then being able to go back to, you know, make a counter offer to Tony Khan when it comes time, assuming that they're all copacetic, you know, that that's just negotiating one-on-one. That's just how you do the business. And uh, it's, you know, even in this like panic time of everyone looking for more drama, because once you get that first hit, you're looking for more. Uh, it's, you know, not a surprise. It's pretty much beha- expected behavior, I think. Absolutely. And we're going to be able to talk more and more about this as time goes on, because this is an ever developing story laced with drama among the top stars in the business of professional wrestling. But we have a lot of other news to cover, too. And a lot of injury news here, Fred. And let's start with Thunder Rosa, because we know that she has the quote unquote back injury that prevented her from dropping the title to Tony Storm. But she also told Conan, apparently, that she'd have to miss triple mania due to a torn ACL. And Meltzer said that she does really have a back injury, but was not able to confirm or corroborate what Conan said. Uh, What is your take on all this? Because it feels like Thunder Rosa, one, really is injured, but two, didn't want it to do the job either. Yeah, she may not have. And uh, I guess there was the issue previously with Warrior Wrestling where she uh, did not drop their belt and just kind of vacated it uh, a couple months ago. I think that, um, frankly, I don't know what to make of the Conan thing. I'm not going to say he's a liar or anything, but, you know, that's like the only source of it. Granted, it was a direct, historian direct uh, text to him. So, as such, I don't know what other source he would have. Um, but I, I just think it's far more likely that uh, what Meltzer wrote in the newsletter last week is the case, which is that she does have a back injury of some sort. And, you know, a doctor is even likely to say, hey, you should not wrestle on that. But most wrestlers would at least, you know, drop the belt uh, in the ring on the way out and then rest up or get whatever they need done. Uh, but Rosa didn't. And I could see that being the everyone is correct kind of path, except for Conan, um, I guess. <laughs> in uh, but that she is injured, she does have some kind of back issue, but also most people would have just done business. Um, I, you know, I don't even think that's necessarily like a, a problem with Rosa. 
uh, if she's just being conservative with her health. But there's plenty of bad feelings on the women's side of the roster circling around her with a lot of the other members that have leaked out rather publicly. And, uh, you know, it's just a very, uh, what a time to be alive. Oh, absolutely. And it's a really frustrating one because her two-year program with Britt Baker culminated in her winning the title um, at St. Patrick's Day Slam. And everybody's really excited for her run because she was one of the best workers in the division, uh, arguably one of the best workers in women's wrestling in North America. And in theory, she could have a really, really good title run. But it never really came to fruition. She never had any, like, highlight real matches her, her only one arguably was that street fight she had against Britt baker at the 2021 st patrick's day slam so yeah, i thought the the march uh this year's uh title change with rosa was really good and uh but once you get past that um rosa is rather inconsistent in the ring i think i think she her highs are rather high but she can uh struggle to hit that fairly often and uh you know, I think that I'm uh, probably a more generous grader than many. Uh, I did think that her Tokyo Joshi match uh, with uh, Miyu Yamashita was really good back in July. The return match uh, was kind of a mess. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't as good nearly at all. But I think those are the only two times I have her breaking four stars this year was the the Japanese Miyu match and then the Britt Baker title change. And even that, like, granted, I thought the the match last year between Britt and Rosa was one of the best of the year, uh, regardless of gender or, you know, uh, hemisphere or anything. And I thought, you know, I, it would be a hard one to match and I don't think they pulled it off, but that's not really a knock, you know, it'd be like saying, Oh, well, if FTR two was only a fraction of as good as the first one, FTR briskers, I should say, um, then that's not really um, something to hang your head at shame. It's just a really high mark. No, it is a really high mark, and it was really disappointing, especially because you mentioned the, the Yamashita match, and she's one of the best workers in Japan. And for them to come over here and that match to be as disappointing as it was, it was really frustrating and, and indoctrination, in my opinion, on her title reign, just not being able to really eclipse a high bar. Um, and let's just be honest with the AEW Women's Division, the bar's not the highest in general, because up until recently, we haven't had a lot of really quality workers in the in this division. It's been about, hey, we need to just keep this afloat. We need to develop the, the young women on our roster and get them to that level. But in order to get that to that level, you are going to have some struggles on the way. And to see her struggle in the ring with somebody as talented as her. And then the Tony Storm match at Forbidden Door was okay. I don't know if it was necessarily the fact that the match was just didn't deliver or it was surrounded by a ridiculous quality of match on that show, but just really frustrating. She's injured people, including Jamie Hayter's broken nose. Um, she's gotten the entire roster mad at her. So this might end up being a blessing in disguise for both uh, Thunder Rosa and AEW for her to at least go away for a little while. And who knows if she ends up coming back at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it would kill the division or anything if she didn't come back. Obviously, it'd be nice to have her, just in terms of uh, it'd be good to have a talent like her, because she does have talent. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's a tough situation, especially if it's going to make everyone else so angry that uh, they don't want to work with her or really be happy backstage, so... 
Yeah, 100%. And this kind of leads us into our next topic. Uh, a lot of injuries. Um, we did just have guys like Kenny Omega come back from injury, and we have Brian Danielson return. Um, but we still have some other injuries, unfortunately, on the roster. Um, Jack Perry, also known as Jungle Boy, mentioned that Christian Cage needed to get his quote-unquote little surgery. Um, and Meltzer believes that it was the same injury as CM Punk, thought to be a triceps injury, which is arguably why the match was so short at All Out. And a triceps injury with surgery could be anywhere from five to nine months to fully heal and be ready for in-ring action. How do you feel this impacts Jungle Boy, Fred? Because this seemed to be the few that they were using to build for Jungle Boy to get to that next level in Tony Khan's uh, supposed path to get him to be a world champion level wrestler. Yeah, it's very unfortunate for uh, Jungle Boy. Um, you know, they it, it felt like they were obviously building to have him beat Christian and then use that as his stepping stone up higher the card. Um, they've clearly transitioned it to where he'll be facing Luchasaurus instead. Um, I don't think that's going to be as big of an impact on uh, Jack Perry's career moving forward. Uh, I mean, it'll be it, it'll eat some time and help get him over, but I don't think it's going to have the same impact as beating Christian in a full match. Uh, what do you think about the booking of Christian going over on the pay per view now, knowing that the you know with the injury that he would be out four months for months? I, I like it, and knowing that we know his injury, the booking to me makes way more sense. If you want this to be a true elevating feud for Jungle Boy. He can't win in a squash just a couple months in. It's it to me the the way Tony Khan books and tells his stories. It doesn't make cohesive sense. Uh, you want him to get a grand, like you want you want him to get a grand victory. You want him to fully go over this guy. You want it to be like WWE talks about moments. We want to create moments. Well, in AW they create moments. But it's not about the moment. It's about the path to get there. It's about um, finally reaching the top of the mountain. And Jungle Boy is not at the top of the Christian Cage mountain yet. When he gets there, it's going to be a big deal for him, the company, and his story moving forward. If he would have done that at All Out, there was so much meat left on the bone with what this rivalry is and how it can elevate him. It would have been a, a miss for him to just beat Christian Cage here. I like the fact that they transitioned to Luchasaurus. Even after the the kind of double turn, where he turned on Jungle Boy and then turned back two weeks later, he kept the gear and he kept the music, kind of leaving that shadow of doubt that he was still on Jungle Boy's side. And with Cage's gimmick being outworked everyone, it played perfectly into his little write-off and continued the feud with Jungle Boy where he can spend the next few months with Luchasaurus and wait for Christian Cage to come back while accomplishing everything in a roundabout way. Yeah, and the positive you have is that Christian will be, you know, still be able to cut promos and stuff. So, you know, if they don't have him come in every week, obviously that makes sense, but they can always have him come in and just antagonize uh, Jungle Boy on the way. So, I, you know, I, I think it was very interesting that they even had a match at all. I probably would have just had Luchasaurus jump him during the entrance and just not do the match uh myself but it's a minor change it'll be interesting to watch going forward i think that they're going to need more than just uh luchasaurus as the heel hired gun to help get the uh, christian over though 
or I mean Jungle Boy over. Here's my question for you, Fred, because I like that they did the match. I think you kind of run into a situation where WWE does a lot of bait and switch. They advertise a match and then they do not deliver. Even though it was not nearly what you expected or what you wanted to see, AEW still delivered on a technical Christian Cage Jungle Boy match that was laced with that turn. Do you think that that factored into anything at all as far as how Tony Khan wanted to proceed forward? Probably. I mean, that makes a lot of sense for him to insist on, okay, listen, I said this match would happen and we're going to do it. Um, I just think that you that he had enough goodwill going into, you know, the show where he could have, you know, done the bait and switch, you know, with an angle. Uh, just like basically the beat down that Luchasaurus did and then just uh, have like the ref refuse to start the match or something. Um, but regardless, uh, you know, I, 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 to me, it's a very minor difference. Maybe most fans feel differently, but I don't think there's much difference between, you know, the one minute match that happened or just the ref, you know, throwing it completely out before even ringing the bell. So. That makes some sense. And in all honesty, it really doesn't matter which direction you would have went in this scenario. The feud was extended with Jungle Boy and Christian Cage, and I think that's good for all parties involved. Moving on here, Fred, Chris Atlander finally had the knee surgery to repair the torn ACL and lateral meniscus. Because it's both injuries, it's likely nine months to a year for that full recovery. And it's a real shame that she wasn't able to potentially be the one to beat Jade Cargill. But she can still do that when she comes back, and Jade will probably be at over 100 wins by then. Yeah, or, well, at least 50 uh, at the rate <laughs> that she gets matches. Um, yeah, she'll st- still be cutting promos about how she's the baddest bitch. Um, it'll be very interesting to see. I feel like that they did really well with uh, Jade for, like, the first six to nine months or whatever, and I feel like we're kind of spinning our wheels now uh, to some extent. And it might just be that a lot of the build, you know, they they spent a lot of time building Chris as one of the co-challengers along with Athena, if you will. And then that just completely falling apart due to injury. Um, But I don't know. It just feels like, you know, we, we cleared the Athena hurdle for Jade and it looks like that's completely done with now. And, you know, off of Rampage, where she just cut a promo, Jade did with the baddies, just cut a promo backstage and didn't even tease, like, the next challenger. So, who knows? This is going to be an interesting summer for and winter for the women's division, getting all of this situated with the injuries and the departure, supposedly, of Thunder Rosa. But we also have another injury uh, in the women's division, and we have two more that we need to talk about before we really get into the meat of Dynamite. Ruby Soho had her nose broken uh, by uh, Ty Connie with the Ty KO in the pre-show opener, and then Alex Reynolds sprained his ankle during the trios match. And along with that, Eddie Kingston off of the New Japan Strong taping um, this past Sunday, uh, 9-11, due to COVID-19, and he hopes he can make TV on Wednesday. Um, in my opinion, not a whole lot to really, uh, look at. And in these three injuries, just all kind of unfortunate, but they should be just fine. 
Yeah, uh, Kingston missed maybe one week of TV, if that. Uh, Reynolds, maybe a couple weeks, you know. And the way that the Dark Order is used, you know, he'll, you know, I don't know that you'll really miss him. Ruby Soho similarly kind of disappears for extended stretches. And frankly, I'm just kind of glad that all she had leaving that match was a broken nose because I remember that she took the, I forget what the move was, but just an outright like head drop. That was uh, just very scary and was able to continue the match. I thought for sure that she probably had some kind of neck injury coming out of that. Uh, but as far as we know, she hasn't. So fortunately, you know, between the two, take the broken nose. Absolutely. And thank God those wrestlers do those bridge exercises on the neck. That's why they don't die. Uh, yeah. Now, lastly, uh, all out, Meltzer predicts between 135 and 142,000 buys. Um, last year's show was 205,000. But what to me, what this number represents is it was less than both full gear revolution and also double or nothing. Um, to me, this is a little frustrating of a number, but I don't think it's this massive red flag either. Uh, how do you perceive this number, Fred? Because being lower than the previous three AEW centric pay-per-views, not that great. Yeah, it wasn't... Uh wasn't a shining moment in terms of numbers. Uh, pardon the clicking as I try to pull up the chart from WrestleNomics. Um, yeah, so it looks like that it was... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it might end up at the same level as Full Gear. But, you know, it looks very much like uh, it's probably the lowest one of them. And the lowest since uh, The Return of Punk. Um, I can't say that that's too terribly surprising. The company is kind of cold off, cold off over the summer um, for various reasons, injuries being a lot of them. And I don't know that I can really point to the Moxley Punk rematch gimmick uh, being a failure, but I don't think it really, it obviously didn't juice things tremendously. I'd say this is a all right number. I mean, it's definitely better than what you were doing uh, prior to a bunch of the big moves that uh, Khan made on the free agent market. But, you know, obviously they'd probably like to see that up. Some. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, too. It's not great, but I don't think it's an abject disaster either. It just kind of is what it is. But to pair with that, they did 9,100 at uh, the now arena, the former Sears Center. And 8,800 of that was paid, so only 300 comps, which for a show of this size is is an okay number. Um, but they did their third straight million-dollar gate at the door, which is huge considering no other company in America had done a million-dollar gate since WCW uh, did it. Um, and it was just all WWE, so this is just a genuinely good sign for a healthy wrestling business. Yeah, I mean, AEW is a real, the first real number two financially uh, since WCW died. Uh, no real disrespect into TNA, but they always had their issues drawing, it felt like, uh, fans into the building and getting pay-per-view pies. So, and unfortunately, they were doing that in an era where wrestling was not making that much money just off of TV. So, they never really were able to put it together as a business that well ignoring all the other issues that uh, that company has had in this past. Uh, but yeah, I mean, having two large companies that are making real money um, is very impressive. Uh, they're supposed to uh, like just be the one of the few years that a uh, company is going to end the year making or grossing over $100 million, I believe I heard from Meltzer. So 
Yeah, that's a huge number for AEW. And considering they're only three years into existence, awesome for the future as well. And speaking of the future, Dynamite just did its third straight week over a million total viewers, 1.035 million with 0.38 of that in the 18 to 49 demo. They are consistently one or two on the night. And Fred, what I've noticed with some of these rankings and how many viewers they get, it's it really depends on how many people are watching TV overall on the night because they are consistently at that one or two spot. The more people watch TV, the more viewership they get. And it feels like that they're just kind of in this holding pattern until they can really start to find a way to keep growing the business. Um, do you agree with that sentiment or do you have kind of your own opinions on that, how this can continue to grow as far as ratings are concerned? Going up in the ratings, it's going to be very interesting. They're going to need someone to catch fire in a way that even the return of CM Punk hasn't quite done long term. Um, obviously, being able to put someone like possibly MJF over Punk would have uh, helped, possibly helped accomplish that. But it's really just going to be a matter of a uh, right guy at the right time. And uh, I don't know. I think Khan's a big, good enough booker where he can accomplish that. Um, I don't know if anyone on the roster will be able to be that kind of company caring star that would help push it over the threshold into like regularly flirting with, I don't know, point fives in the demo. Um, but it's just going to be, I mean, I think this is where they are. I think if they can maintain this level consistently, you know, three weeks is only three weeks. And that largely is off the back of the Moxley punk uh, first match. And then the surprise, of the quick finish of that leading into the pay-per-view and then the disaster, you know, the drama of um, the post-show, post-pay-per-view press conference and everything. Uh, Next, next week will be an interesting number. We'll see if they can even stay close to a million. I don't think it's a disaster if they don't obviously probably be preferable to stay over 900,000 overall and a solid 0.3 number. Um, but I just don't, you know, I don't feel like at this point in time, there's really any momentum pushing them over that hill. Yeah, I don't necessarily see it either. Maybe some cross promotion. Like, I, I think the one thing that's going to take AEW to new heights as far as ratings goes is they have to get some crossover like The Rock. And I don't I'm not expecting anybody on the roster to become the next Rock. But maybe MJF starts doing some Hollywood stuff. And in turn, you get some promotion in areas that you necessarily wouldn't get promotion. And then you draw some more eyeballs that way. I I think that's going to be the next real step in order to completely grow this company as far as a ratings perspective. Because it's it feels like that they've grown their fan base almost to its peak within the wrestling fan, fandom, I, I think is the fair way to phrase it. They... They've done a great job with what they have. They have the diehard fan base, and now it's about drawing eyeballs from outside of the sphere. Yeah, and I, you know, it's just they're not there yet, and I don't think there's any reasonable expectation that, you know, even like Action Bronson coming in for a tag match, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit or anything like that, is really going to make a huge difference. Uh, like, you know, Bad Bunny had his WWE appearances and by all accounts, it was really good there, but it didn't really make a difference in terms of their business as far as like TV ratings or attendance or anything. 
yeah, it's going to be fun to watch how these ratings continue to evolve. A um, couple more news and notes before we really get to the show. Jake Hager signed a contract extension um, per Chris Jericho um, when, during an appearance on Inside the Ropes. Um, the reason why Hager's in this company is pretty well known. Um, he saved Chris Jericho's life um, on a European tour in WWE. So good on Hager. He's been really good in his role, and has, and they haven't tried to push him outside of the faction that he's in. He's just a good pin eater that works well for a big guy, and that's all you need. Yeah, I mean, okay, I, I'm he's back. <laughs> I don't have he, any great Jake Hager thoughts. Like I don't hate him, but it's just like, all right, you know. He stays in his lane and he's good in his role and he doesn't do anything outside of that. And I think for what he is, that's all you can ask. Yeah. I mean, he's perfectly acceptable within that role. I have absolutely no issue with him. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's about all we have on that. And then of course, Jr. good old Jim Ross. Good old Jr. Buried the build all out main event and the five hour long show. Like he was talking about the Oklahoma state Cowboys. Like I, I don't understand Jr. I, you're paid by this man an exorbitant amount of money for your job performance and you bury the product it's utterly ridiculous that this guy it, it's fine if you want to employ him i'm not gonna tell him he should be fired but he should be transitioned out of broadcasting for this company if he's gonna continue to do this shit fred it's utterly ridiculous that he is outwardly burying the product this is what wcw did WCW doesn't exist anymore for a reason. And I know that Tony Khan absolutely loves the history of wrestling, but he should understand that this is actively bad for his product. And I don't understand why Ross is still in that chair. I take more of a bemused uh, approach to Jim Ross in the year of our Lord 2022. Like, if I were in charge, would I have him announcing? No, I, I would probably just be like, hey, uh, how about an ambassador role, buddy? Um, and we'll bring you out for like some interviews and maybe to call me event every once in a while or something. It's very funny to me just to watch him do his things continually, uh, whether it be this, um, whether it be like just randomly saying, Hey, I like Hikaru Shida's more Americanized makeup. It's good. And just like, that's kind of racist. This is really weird, man. Like just every week there's at least one JR thing that just makes me just, turn my head kind of like the RCA dog. Um, you know, I, I wish that I had the time to go back and rewatch every show he did commentary on and just like make a bracket out of the weird JR moments. Um, I don't, I mean like within the realm of Jim Ross doing stuff, um, complaining about a five hour long show is the least surprising thing I can think of. Um, him, now him bearing the build and being like, I don't know why you'd spend money on this. It's kind of like, okay, well, buddy, that's a far more serious issue. Um, I will also note that after that happened, he only did part of the main, uh, part of the pay-per-view and didn't do dynamite at all. Uh, maybe that's something. And if it is, I'd be happy, but yeah, I, I'm really curious about that, Fred, because this isn't the first time he's done half the pay-per-view. Cause he only did half of forbidden door too. And it was mainly the multi-man and multi-man tag matches that he wasn't a part of. And he has not done a couple dynamites. So I'm very intrigued to see how this moves goes moving forward. But I want to do a sidebar quick because you mentioned that you wanted to do a, if you had to the time, 
to do a bracket of all the dumb things Jim Ross has said. Um, there is a local radio station in town, KFAN. They're the number one sports talk station in the country. Every February, they do the preposterous statement tournament and get the 68 most preposterous statements and put them in a bracket. And when that happens, I will be sure to send it your way because I think you will have a, like in the words of the Flintstones, a gay old time just following along with that because it's incredibly stupid and fun. Yeah, but dabba do. Uh, yeah, that would be great. What is your favorite random Jim Ross just being Jim Ross on commentary moment? Because I have one in my head that most people probably have forgotten. Oh, uh, you know, I, I, I love when Jim Ross actively buries tag team wrestling and, uh, He's, he'll say stupid things like he wasn't holding the tag rope. Like, dude, do you not know that this is a tornado tag style promotion? Like, that's the house style. And it, it's it just drives me bonkers that he continues to beat the drum and call these referees basically worthless. Yeah, JR versus the refs is the the longest going feud in AEW history and always will be as long as he's part <laughs> of the company. Um, and those refs aren't going over as long as JR has a live mic. Um, my favorite was just the, it was a very random match on a dynamite where they brought in, they were then bear country. I can't even remember their new name now, uh, but they brought in what was bear country and it's these two big burly guys. And one of the big moves they do is like a cannonball, like an assisted cannonball move off the top rope, like the old Quebecers finisher, I think it was from the nineties. And, you know, they go to do it. And of course they miss it because they're the, they're like practically jobbers in the company at that point in time. And JR just like goes out of his way to bury these two massive men who just did a very impressive athletic move and be like, these men should just keep it on the ground. They can't do this stuff. It's like, I, you know, I personally would have sold what an amazing attempted move from them and got them over a little bit, but you know, I'm not Jim Ross. So yeah, no good old JR. He's always going to get a pop because he, he, he was the voice of wrestling for so many of our childhoods, but at a certain point, everybody's got to go and his time is coming. Lastly, yeah. uh, we, we've got one more thing to kind of bury CM Punk with, with our good friend, Kenta, talking about Punk uh, stealing his um, go to sleep. And he says in a tweet, let the world know one of my worst experiences in this business is that I was not allowed to use my finishing move for four years, move which I created on my own. What a life. <laughs> Kenta rules. Kenta rules. Um, you know, I always thought that the Kenta Twitter heat with CM Punk was, you know, kind of mostly a work. And I don't know, maybe I'm just, uh, you know, eat, biting the onion here. Uh, but this one just feels a little more like, no, I actually do hate this guy. It might just be the week that everyone's had. Uh, but maybe we just tack Kenta onto the uh, has issues with CM Punk list. <laughs> which you, yeah. you roll out in the middle of the floor, a uh, middle of the ring, like the Chris Jericho, 1997, 1004 moves uh, promo. <laughs> I love that promo. That's a good, good stuff. All right. Now comes to the fun part of the show, Fred. And this is where your uh, article, the good, the bad, and the hungry comes into play. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the stupid. And this is, this is going to be a really fun part because there was a lot of really good stuff on this dynamite. Um, we talked initially about the pre-tape um, from Tony Khan to start the show. I personally thought that it was about as good as you could expect. He got all the points across, told you what was happening with these title belts, and he did not make himself an on-screen character, which is what we have really worried about him doing over the course of his time um, running AEW. How did you think the pre-tape was? 
Uh, I mean, it was like 60 seconds, maybe, and it was just, it was completely fine. It was what it should have been. He announced it real quick. He didn't, he, it was odd that he didn't name the wrestlers that also didn't appear in the intro to Dynamite. And he also uh, just, you know, was like, hey, we're doing this. We're moving on. Let's go. And that was it. And it was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, pretty much. And I thought it was great. And one of the things he announced on there was Death Triangle and Best Friends were going to have a match that was already announced at the pay-per-view. And they were going to make it for the trio's titles. Um, personally, considering what you wanted to do with the Elite and having them establish those titles and having a high-flying, high-energy, high-impact act be your first champions, the fact that Death Triangle is going to get the first real run, I think, is about as good of a um, backup plan as you could possibly have. Um, the Lucha Brothers and Pac are incredibly over, both as individuals and a tag team, and as a unit. Um, I think it's honestly some really, really good stuff. Um, Fred, what did you think about uh, them transitioning and shifting over to um, the uh, to Death Triangle? Yeah, I think that Death Triangle was really a great pick here uh, in terms of trying to have someone carry the uh, the proverbial flag for the trios division for AEW. They, uh, they they work in the fast-paced style that really seems to shine in these kind of matches, uh, which is exactly what the Elite would have brought to the table. The only concern I have is if Pac's going to actually be around because he does seem to disappear on a semi-regular basis. And, you know, you'd, you know, I'd assume that Tony Khan would like to keep these belts featured pretty heavily since they put a lot of time into establishing them. Uh, it's unfortunate that they had to switch so quickly from the first to the second champs, but you know, we'll, we'll just pretend it never happened. Yeah. I I'm guessing because of the all Atlantic title, that Pac is going to be more featured throughout the promotion in general. And I think that especially cause they had their first all Atlantic title defense one on American soil and two live on AEW programming with the pre-show at all out that he is going to be here for the long run. Um, I think a lot of the reason why he kept going back to England was pandemic related. So being that we are almost in a normal world again, I would assume that Pac is going to be here to stay. And that's why they made the decision to belt these guys up. Um, speaking of belting up, Daniel Garcia gets belted up in his hometown, winning the ROH pure title from Wheeler Yuta, um, submitting him with his uh, version of the sharpshooter. And this continued along the storyline with him and the Jericho Appreciation Society while also um, building up the Danielson-Jericho match uh, in the semifinals of the World Championship Tournament next week on Dynamite. Look, Fred, I thought this was tremendous stuff. The way everything was layered, the pace, the match was great. You get the huge pop of Garcia winning his first major title in his hometown of Buffalo, where he got a special entrance from Westside Gun. And you continue this story, which, in my opinion, is going to end up putting Garcia into the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, how did you think this whole thing went? I thought it was booked just about perfectly. Uh, Garcia and Yuta work really well together. They had at least one indie match from last year that I watched that was just fantastic. And I thought this one was just as good, if not better. 
Um, I thought the match was great. I thought they really tried to do their best to make uh, Garcia a star and, you know, the hometown pop doing it, you know, having that great of a match and that big of a moment in front of the hometown fans uh, made it felt really great. Um, it does contribute to another storyline, but it's also not overshadowed at the same time by that storyline. It's not like the kind of infamous uh, WrestleMania main event that was technically Triple H versus Chris Jericho, but it was really Triple H versus Stephanie. Um, it felt like that not only is Daniel Garcia a player, but he's like a huge, you know, he's, he's definitely a star to watch. And I feel like he's had a fantastic year and has really moved himself up the death chart at AEW. And, uh, you know, the next year or two for him is going to be really special. Here's one question I have for you, because I caught William Regal saying this on commentary. He explicitly said that he did not want Daniel Garcia in the Blackpool Combat Club because they need wrestlers like Garcia to face to keep them in good shape and to continue to help them grow as a unit. Um, That obviously wasn't said for no reason. What is your take on that? Because I still think he ends up in the Blackpool Combat Club, but I don't think it's quite as simple as he leaves Jericho and he joins. Yeah, I don't know uh, how they're going to take it. My thought out of heading out of the show is that they might be setting up for a future double turn with him and Yuta. And maybe they switch factions, maybe they don't. But I would imagine in, in this scenario that I was thinking about, you know, Garcia would end up a face and Yuta a heel. Um, and Yuta did some pretty good work as a heel on the indies uh, just before coming into AEW. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a very interesting thing, you know, with the way that the match ended and Danielson, not quite, but practically shoving Yuta out of the way so he could belt, you know, put the belt around Garcia's waist. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Um, I thought it was well done. And yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it goes from here because with, uh, especially with Jericho involved, like nothing that's happening in the storyline is uh, an accident. So This is just a very well-built company, and I love it. And one of the things that was really intriguing to me when you looked at the entire show, how Tony Khan built this tournament, I thought was tremendous. It's it's not – nobody's thrown in there by accident. You have the only three-time TNT champion and the longest reigning TNT champion going at it, and they just uh, wrestled on Rampage. You have Brian Danielson, a a multi-time world champion, a hangman page – and a former AEW champion, which every former AEW champion that was not suspended is represented in this tournament. Then you have Chris Jericho, who has won more world champions than everybody in this company, and John Moxley, who now has held the AEW belt twice. Um, all of these guys are represented in this tournament. They're all champions. They all have a lineage, and they all have a reason to be here. And for something that had to be thrown together this quickly, I thought it was tremendously impressive that there was so much connective tissue with all six competitors and nothing felt like it was forced or a mistake. No, I was very excited just as soon as they announced this uh, bracket on the show. I just looking at it, it looked awesome. And uh, so far it's delivered quite well. I thought that, you know, having the justifications as to why people were in there, like, you know, you didn't have like the, no offense to him, but like the Ethan Page slot or someone of that level that was just like an obvious we're here to do the job kind of deal. So like uh, the Sunny Kiss versus Kenny Omega match in that one tournament they had uh, two years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Um, nothing in here felt like it was going to be a squash. Um, I mean, I guess there is the potential of Moxley getting a quick win, but I just don't see that happening really. Um, but I, I thought it was uh, one of the better planned out brackets that uh, Tony Khan has had, especially after the Owens, which were kind of uh, yeah, 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 um, mm-hmm. not not great. Even the trios tournament felt like it was a little bit uh, predetermined, but the dynamite side of that bracket was so good. Nobody really cared. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh that was a great half of a tournament. It really was. Um, and then lastly, um, action Bronson coming in for a tag match next week on rampage or no, or is that the grand slam rampage? I, I can... think that's going to be the grand slam. Okay. That makes sense because it is in New York, um, in Queens at Arthur Ashe stadium. Um, uh, Action Bronson kind of like when we were sitting in the VOW suite, we thought Action Bronson was Taz. You, you got you got the crappy orange gym shirt, the short stocky build. We we genuinely thought it was Taz. And I don't then think, we're, I don't think Taz is going out there uh, dressed like that. Oh, are, are you kidding? Old school nineteen ninety five Taz. Like that. That's kind of where our minds were working. You're still right, but. Action Bronson coming in to do the match with uh, with Hook. Good, bad, stupid. Like, I, I really don't know how to take this. Um, I'll, I'll put it down as a tentative good. I, I don't think it's going to really make a difference for in terms of business for the company. I think the biggest thing you could potentially do is help get uh, Hook over, of course. And I think it will probably accomplish that because 2.0 or a couple of veteran pros they're fantastic and uh, frankly they should be pushed harder once uh daddy magic is healthy again fully healthy which i guess he is since he's doing a match um but yeah i mean i think it's uh you know it's a fair positive um i'm not the biggest action bronson fan but i do recall um there was a song that i really liked i think going crazy and he looks a lot slimmer now than he did in the video for that so that's a plus so yeah it'll be interesting to watch it will be interesting to watch, and I'm I'm excited to see it. Um, but we got to talk about the bad, and this is a an interesting question, and it was something that I brought up in the suite. If before the match ended, I'm like, if they don't belt these guys up, they may have missed. And it was the, the question was asked during the presser to Tony Khan. Did you think about calling an audible mid match because of how incredibly over the acclaimed got in that match, and nobody saw it coming. You could argue that they were more over than CM Punk in that building. It was nuts how loud the crowd was and how much they wanted the acclaim to win that match. And you could feel the energy get sucked out of the building when they did not beat uh, Swerve in our glory. Fred, do you think they missed the opportunity with the acclaimed? Or are they going to be able to recreate that so much in Arthur Ashe when both guys are from New York, which could give an extra element that Chicago did not have? Yeah, I would. I was surprised by how over they were at All Out. Uh, you know, I, you know, it kind of harkens back to the worst of the Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez arguments during the Brian Danielson uh, build up to Mania 30. Uh, are they over or are they just catchphrase over? And I thought they were actually just catchphrase over. I thought they were a fun mid card act that everyone liked, but I didn't really see them as like anything higher than that. And then they came out at All Out and it was a Jesus pop. Uh, it was just an amazing response that they got. They completely earned it uh, with their, you know, months and months of build. And they are far more over than even I had thought. Um, 
I think that it would have been optimal to probably put the belts on them uh, just because it felt like that they were building to eventually, you know, in the short term, Swerve and our glory breaking up with some, you know, likely Swerve going heel. Uh, but I don't think it's unrecoverable. I think that they have to put the belts on them if they're doing the match at uh, Arthur Ashe, though. Like, if you do this rematch and then you don't have them go over in their own hometown after, you know, seeing that response, it would be a big misstep, I think, for the acclaimed. Uh, they're talented enough where I'm not going to say that they can't, you know, recover from that circumstance, but it would do harm to them. It would keep them uh, lower on the card than they should be, probably. Yeah, it, I, they really can't miss the mark here. They have this built-in story with Swerve and Our Glory that uh, they're going to turn on each other. They added extra layers to that in the match against the Acclaimed with each member knocking out the other one, which, I'll be honest, I thought that they were going to take one of those spots and that was going to be the finish because it was so well done. And I really hope that they give these guys a real run because you literally have an act chanting scissor me daddy. <laughs> and it's the most over thing in professional wrestling. It's incredibly stupid, so much fun and nothing makes sense. I just run with it and see what happens. The scissor me daddy t-shirt I think is objectively bad. <laughs> Like, it would just be really embarrassing to wear that in public in a non-wrestling circumstance. But it is apparently sold really well. And the fact that they're able to do that with, like, a not well-designed, you know, T-shirt, uh, that you know, that, that says something. That really says something. Like, it's not a classic, like, Austin 316 or a Young Bucks, you know, Bullet Club T-shirt or anything like that. It's, it's, but it's moving. You know, I think it was, like, the number one shirt on Shop AEW when it came out, you know. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'd wear that shirt, but I would be very selective where I wear that shirt for that exact reason. Um, let's move on to Rampage, Fred. The good. We have some. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. We have some good matches on Rampage. Yeah, there were some good matches. I won't say that anything was um, was fantastic, but there were some quite good matches. Uh, I will say the biggest takeaway I had from Rampage is that just having three matches makes the show flow so much better than when they try to squeeze four in there. Um, you know, because the formula they did this past Friday was the longer opening with uh, Darby and Guevara, which, of course, is the real main event of the show, the way they book it. And then the last match of the show was uh, Claudio and uh, Please Vote Me Wrestler of the Year, Dax Harwood. <laughs> um and, uh, you know, they both, both of those matches needed time. They both got time. And then in between, you had the shorter uh, Madison Rain Serena D match that was, uh, it was shorter. Yeah. This Dax Harwood thing is just so weird, Fred. He's, he's a good wrestler. Good hand. You want good hands on your roster. The FTR tag team is one of the most overacts in American wrestling right now. But, he, the, it just feels like so disingenuous for a guy trying to get Wrestling Observer Wrestler of the Year when you actively buried him in favor of Jim Cornette just a few weeks ago. Like I, I can't take this dork seriously. I, you know, I think that it's just uh, my my take on it is it's just Dax Hardwood trying to get Dax Hardwood over, and uh, an easy way to get yourself over on the internet is to bury Dave Meltzer. 
uh, even when Dave Meltzer is correct. It's just how it's been for decades now. And I think another way is to line yourself up as, you know, the uh, we're real wrestlers, not these flip guys. Now, mind you, how FTR wrestles is very modern. It's it's not, I mean, it's clearly an evolution from what, like, the Midnight Express were doing in the 80s, but they're not doing what the Midnight Express were doing in the 80s or the Rock and Roll Express. They're, you know, they're taking kind of the flow, but they're doing 2022 moves. And that, I mean, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's really good, but it's kind of, they're, they're pretending there's something they aren't. Uh, and everyone that wants to believe it or just buying into it as far as like, yeah, this is definitely how they wrestle and don't please, please don't watch what they're actually doing. That will undercut this entire argument. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it- I just I I can't take that dork seriously. That's that's about all. I, I just don't pay attention to Twitter. Like wrestlers' Twitter is like you know I just ignore it actively, and uh, for the most part, I think that's to my benefit. Hey, you know, with with all my doings in the in the football sphere, I don't I don't pay attention either. It still pops up. It's it's honestly crazy how it pops up. But um, we're getting towards the end of the show here. Um, Fred, you kind of talked about uh, the wrestling being good on Rampage, but we also have on here on the show sheet, and then I, I kind of want you to elaborate a little bit. You think both men's matches under-delivered. How did you think they under-delivered? I thought they were both solid matches that were quite, you know, they were good. Uh, I went three and three-quarter on Guevara Darby, and I went four on Claudio and Dax, uh, which are both good matches, but I, at the same time, like... You know, especially after Dynamite, but, you know, looking at those on paper, you would have, and knowing how much time they got, you would have hoped for, you know, probably better matches. But uh, I think the Darby-Sammy match was much tamer than it could have been, knowing how those two like to work matches and take wild bumps. And it was almost a storyline match designed just to emphasize that uh, Sammy Guevara is kind of sleazy and will cheat. Um, not There's nothing wrong with that, you know, but I feel like there is still some meat left on that bone. Um, and I feel like Claudio and Dax, um, they got a lot of time for that match. And I feel like they kind of wasted the first uh, first segment of it. Uh, by the time they hit the first commercial break, it was kind of like, oh, we're doing like a very uh, early 2022 Raw match here. Uh, and I feel like it really picked up uh, in the later parts of the match. But still, to me, like it, it was not what I had hoped it would be. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of got the same vibe too. And uh, Rampage has really been delivering a lot of solid wrestling, but nothing is ever great. And you could argue that there hasn't really been a truly great match since the opener on Rampage, and that was Kenny Omega losing the Impact World Title to Christian Cage, which is really frustrating considering this is built up to be an A show, but it is almost certainly not an A show. Uh, Khan did say at the presser after All Out that because he has an almost full roster now, he's going to be able to utilize a lot more people on Rampage, which could inherently build the product back up to what he wanted. 
Uh, and I hope he delivers on that. But, you know, right now, I mean, I, I can uh, point out some matches I think were really great on Rampage uh, that you forgot about just from this year, like Andrade versus Ray Phoenix back in June. And there was a three-way between Andrade, Darby, and Sammy back in March that was also fantastic. But for the most part, their best matches tend to be on Dynamite. And you can say it's not a B-show to your blue in the face, but if you book it like a B-show, uh, it's a B-show. So... Exactly. Um, you did mention here that I need to go and watch this because this sounds right up my alley. On an episode of Dark, you went 3.75 on a Claudio Castagnoli, Aria Davari, ROH World title match. That sounds awesome. It was really fun, especially when you consider that what Dark and Dark Elevation typically are, which is almost all squashes. And then when it is something that goes longer, it's not not great uh it's it's fine usually uh but i thought this was a, a very good match um not quite uh the proverbial notebook level but you know it flirted with it a little bit but i mean i just can't you know dark and dark elevation like you know the the description of dark as a podcast with wrestling is about right uh that was the only match on either show for the past week that went over five minutes which is the minimum to be rated on cage match and, you know, I understand that part of Dark and Dark Elevation is to give your guys wins so you can prop up their records and the uh, the kayfabe you have and, you know, get them a little more ring experience sometimes, which is all well and good. But, you know, if you have those on, you should probably, you know, just throw a bone out there, you know, just have a couple mid-carters work a really good match every once in a while, I feel like. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, let's talk about moving forward, though, Fred. This week on Dynamite, we have the two semifinals in the Grand Slam Tournament of Champions to crown a new world champion. Mox, John Moxley versus Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson, too. Um, what are your predictions here? Because for me, I feel like that they are going to try to use this opportunity, and it's not necessarily burning a match, but you have to give the fans a really good world title match and uh, doing Moxley versus Danielson feels like a nice way to reward the fan base for having to deal with all this shit. Yeah. I, uh, I really do think that, uh, that it will end up Ma Mox and probably Danielson. I feel like Mox is a pretty safe bet uh, given the matchup he has. I really don't think they're going to be putting Guevara over him. Um, I think a uh, possible finish is Danielson wins when Jericho is somehow distracted by Daniel Garcia. A uh, very AEW finish, whether you like that or not. Um, and that leads to, you know, Danielson and Mox uh, for the title, which should, definitely has that big world title match feel to it. Yeah, it really does. And it wouldn't shock me if they decide to go Moxley Jericho and then strap Jericho back up because he is one of the more overacts in the company. After his uh, rough period, let's put it that way, he's gotten into absolutely tremendous shape and can still work main event matches really well, although not nearly as dynamic as he used to. And that could lead to some really interesting feuds moving forward until they get everything situated on the legal side. So anything other than... Uh, Sammy Guevara in the final to me makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. And I think it'll be another great show. And I think that uh, last week, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to not feel the uh, undertone of the show was, hey, we're still, we're fine. Uh, no matter what comes out of our investigation stuff, we are, you need to watch us. We're a great show. 
uh, and we're worth your time. And I think they definitely delivered that with last week's Dynamite, and I think they'll deliver it this week too. I agree. Uh, And one of the fun things that we're going to continue to do on this show is we're going to call it the backlog. And we are going to specifically talk about what we have watched in our backlog and just try and talk about some good wrestling that we just haven't had an opportunity to watch because life takes shape in really weird ways. I unfortunately have not had an opportunity to watch any wrestling outside of AEW this week because season just started and my job with the Vikings wire has become very demanding, which is good and bad. Um, Fred, what has been on your watch list this week? Uh, I got a couple chances to watch some stuff. I uh, mainly worked on trying to get through some of the higher uh, talked about WWE television matches of the past uh, three or four months, um, which I like to space out a little bit just because uh, as far as like a house production style, I'm less of a fan of how WWE does things than other companies. Uh, but there's some very good matches that I will toss out as worth uh, people's times. Um, ignoring the t- stupid name for it, the good old-fashioned Donnybrook uh, between Drew McIntyre and Sheamus on the July 29th episode of SmackDown. I thought that was great. Those two, whenever they're in the ring together, will just beat the living hell out of each other. And uh, that's exactly what they did in this one. Uh, Chad Gable and Kevin Owens had a nice match on the August 22nd Raw, um, going back a bit. And also, there was an AJ Styles-Bobby Lashley match uh, on the August 15th Raw that I thought over-delivered. So those were all pretty good outings. Um, but the best stuff I watched was New Japan, uh, starting to work towards the G1. But before I got there, I watched uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshinobu Kanemaru in the first round of their side of the... Uh, the all Atlantic bracket back for forbidden door. And that was just an absolutely fantastic match uh, that everybody needs to get out of their way. I went four and three quarter on that one. Uh, Ishii is, you can see where he's getting near the end of his career, but he just had a fabulous match and Kanemaru did all kinds of great heel stuff that Ishii worked against. And I thought they put together a really great match. Uh, I will hijack this segment to talk about one thing I did do outside of actually watching wrestling. I actually, you know, when we, one thing that was talked about, but not really talked about in the CM Punk situation was how one of his big rants was about how Hangman Adam Page is an empty headed idiot or whatever exactly he said uh, for not, you know, for saying in an interview that he, doesn't go to the veterans for advice. And if you actually listen to the interview, it was a very awkward question that Paige was asked uh, that he kind of tried to, in my interpretation, kind of self-deprecatingly answer. But the main crux of his statement was he preferred to try to figure things out on his own. And so I, I've never trained to be a wrestler. I have no intention to because I like my bones being solid as they are. Uh, so what I did is I actually approached two people I know who are or were trainers and I asked them about the situation and I asked them basically, what would you tell your trainees about this? You know, uh, just about in general being given advice by veterans. And I got two very different answers. I did tell them I'd keep their answers, uh, anonymous for this. So I'm going to refer to them as trainer A and trainer B, but the big things uh, coming out of it was uh, trainer A Uh, had a more positive answer. He said, unfortunately, in this business, there are many cutthroat people who sabotage other wrestlers. Note that I'm starting with this for the more positive answer. 
Uh, to give themselves a higher spot, I tell my students to acknowledge where that advice is coming from. I say to always ask your trainer, as his advice will always be the best for you. A vet that is insecure about losing a spot to a younger guy might give you bad advice. On the other side, I get young guys asking me for advice. And when I give it, they do nothing. I told them, which makes me realize they asked to, they wanted to ask for advice for the sake of being that guy that asked for advice and are looking for brownie points. In all honesty, I feel for Punk in this situation. He wants to be a locker room leader and give advice to younger guys that he may not have received that would have helped him out, especially when there's a guy like Punk that's been through so much that he's actually saying, hey, young guys, I'm here to make this locker room better. Ask me only to have someone say, I'm good. I'll figure it out. I promised myself I would be better for the young guys, so I'd be disappointed if a rookie would be like, I'll figure it out myself, especially when I'm starting out. I was either ignored by the vets or given bad advice to keep me down. Uh, and the other response I got from Trainer B uh, started by noting that they really don't um, train anymore, but they did. But they were active doing that from 2015 to 2020. Uh, and he said, no one ever talks about this or thinks about it this way, but advice is never just advice. It's a play in defining class within the wrestling subculture. The training seminar economy is a formal version of it. You come in come up in wrestling at the very bottom of the pyramid. It varies, but in some subcultures that worse, people are hazed and not treated with dignity. In most all cases, you're supposed to listen and ask for advice and be very servile to people depending on their experience level within the culture, which might be good if you're actually uh, in a wise and decent culture, but of course that's rarely the case. So that's the environment you're brought up in. You've probably been around some decent people, some assholes, everyone eager to teach you and bless you with their wisdom while gratifying their own ego because they were in your spot not long ago and they're eager for their turn and so on and so on. That class system, it's ultimately about power and influence and it pretends to be about knowledge. So you never know what you're going to get. Maybe you're getting advice from Brian Danielson or maybe you're getting advice from Vince Russo. So I just thought those were both uh, very interesting responses from different sides of an issue that I felt like was kind of under addressed um, in general when it came to this whole discussion. Interesting. I, I like those answers because they they dive deeper than simply as, oh, you're disrespectful, not listening to me. Well, it's a carny business. It's not always that simple. And I really appreciated you reaching out to those people and sharing that because I think it's something that can really make a difference as far as people's perception on the issue, which is always a good thing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think they both gave great answers. I, uh, I think I disagree with uh, at least part of both of them to some extent, but you know, it's also not my business that I have no skin in the game. So outside of being a fan, so but yeah, they, they were both very uh, very helpful in giving up their time to give those, and I do appreciate that. Absolutely, and that will wrap up the show. And I want to mention this to you, Fred, because I don't know if you know this. Um, you mentioned that you like that Chad Gable match. Well, I actually went to high school with Chad Gable. Did you now? I did. Um, he is uh, he is a very good guy. He won the state wrestling title, I think, at one sixty eight. Um, his senior high school. Um, goes uh, real name is Chaz Betts, so it's not super far from his uh in ring name, yeah, yeah, just just an overall good human, cool, very cool. Uh, he really deserves to have more success, he's he should be better off than the shush guy in the mid card on Raw, but you know, he's getting paid, and that's you know what really matters in the end, yeah, exactly. I would love to see him do like a best of super juniors run or something, just be just be like. Not Kurt Angle, but 
like mini Kurt Angle, just go in and do like the amateur wrestler gimmick and just have great matches, do some grappling stuff. And maybe with Triple H in charge, being that he's got an amateur wrestling gimmick, he may be able to do something moving forward. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Well, this was the end of the show, Fred. Pretty good first episode. We didn't screw up. We didn't have any major malfunctions. And we're alive. Yeah. And uh, not dying is always a good thing. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can send us an email at hungypod, that's spelled H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at goodbadhungy. Once again, H-U-N-G-E-E. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, next week, we'll talk about uh, whatever the hell happens. Uh, hopefully, no more fires. Yeah, we don't need any more Maybe fires to put out. Fires. I don't know. <laughs> well, we don't need any more to put out, but let's be honest. It'll give us some fun content. All right, Dollar, you have a good one. Thank you, you too. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week.